Well, good morning, St. Luke's. This is one of the days where I feel like a lot of us are here at the same time, so it really is St. Luke's we get to say good morning to. If you're watching online, a very special welcome to you. I know you'd be here if you could, so we're glad that you're able to watch in this way. We get to celebrate Luke today at church, and Luke is mighty and worthy of celebration. As you heard from that first reading, Luke is a physician. So it's interesting to think about being a doctor about 2,000 years ago and what that would have meant. Are there any doctors in this room? Can you raise your hand? We just got told to listen to our doctors, I think. Um, some of us get to an age, right, I heard, I saw the doctor clap. Um, some of us get to an age where we'd like to, to um, avoid the doctor and maybe not do everything the doctor says because it involves our diets and our exercise, right? Um, but of course, for all of you young people, you would never not do what your doctor said. Um, so it's in the Bible. Pay attention. There are people around us that are healers, people among us that can help us to heal. Isn't that wild? And the question we get asked throughout our lives is actually, do you want to be healed? And Jesus asks that question. And we as Episcopalians don't believe that the only way you can be healed is to pray and hope. We have doctors, right? We have people that are trained and that work hard to make sure that we are well, right? We have resources for that. And that is true about almost everything we read in the Bible. So in that, um, and that just as an aside, I can't help myself and I apologize in advance. Did you see that Paul left his sweater behind? Did you read that, that second reading? Look at that last verse. If you have ever felt bad about leaving something behind, perhaps your books at school or your notes or your sweater or a shirt, Paul left not just one, he left his sweater, his cloak, so his scarf, his coat really, he left his sweater, left his books, not one book, and left his notes, the parchments, all of them. So don't worry, next time it happens to you, happens to the best of them, even in the Bible, right? It is worthy of some clapping, don't worry, we're all right, there it is. And what a compelling gospel. So this is from Luke, the book of Luke, and the scholars tell us that Luke and Acts were probably written by Luke, or the school of Luke, the people that, um, that followed Jesus by reading Luke and knew the stories of Luke. And we are a church like that, it's why you are called Saint Luke. Probably for us, Luke the physician, because the first rector of this church was a physician, as well as a priest, right? So we attend to the body, the real needs of the world, um, as we know how, to the best of our abilities, um, as well as in prayer and in hope and in faith. We hold both together. And it is a beautiful part of our tradition that we hold both together. In every aspect of our lives, we hold both together. Luke was also an artist in the tradition, which is something kind of new to me as I've been trying to understand who Luke is and who we are. Has anyone heard that before? No, I hadn't either. And I was wondering if you all heard that every year until I got here, and I just didn't know. Um, Luke is credited with being the first icon writer. Did you all know that? Yeah, you knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so icons in the Orthodox Church are, for us, frankly, when things get kind of dry or are not in a language we understand, there's a screen of icons across the front of all Orthodox churches. My mother's family is Orthodox. And the idea is that those images are something to look through and look at to see something of the nature of God. 
that we aren't just people that hear words and understand things. We're not just logical. We're not just singers. We're not just prayers. We need some visual help as well, those of us that see. It's another way to, to think about these things. And so we have images. We are wrapped in images in this church. They're everywhere, right? If you ever find yourself losing focus, you're all around you are ways to think about what God is and who God is, and our great artistry and skill as people, what creation is that enlivens our art, and what the images are that have held up this church over the years, right? So Luke is an artist, which is an interesting challenge to us in this time. Any artists in this room? Come on, you got a self-identifier, we don't get anybody. There's some right here, yep. So what an interesting combination to put together. Right? The very concrete sense of healing, which also has a great mystery to it, because doctors give us tools for healing, but our bodies do that healing. Right? And art, the great giftedness of those of you and the passion of those of you that identify as artists, and the call through that, and then what we are given for the generations that follow as we work with what you have offered us. So Luke is a physician and an artist. So today we have in front of us an opportunity, I think, to think about what it would mean to capture in our own building, our own ministry, our own lives, something of that healing and that looking into the future. So I was at a conference a few years ago and the meeting and there was a preacher and I can't say who it is because of what the story is, but a really famous one, right? I had traveled far, I was a little jet lagged and I was sitting there and a colleague of this person said a while in, person's name I can't say, is getting boring. When did they get boring? I didn't know you could say that when watching somebody else preach. Um, made me feel a little self-aware about all the times I must be boring or that our minds go somewhere else. So I listened a little bit closer to what the person was actually saying and it was fine, you know, good things. But I have to admit, I too was struggling to stay awake. Um, and I, I had attributed it to the travel. I want us to think about not being boring or being bored. And I want to make, be that concrete about it. The point of church is not just to fill our time, right? The point is not to do what we used to do. The point is not to do even what we think we're supposed to do. The point is to follow the gospel. And if you didn't hear that gospel, and I bet you did, right? The one we get for St. Luke's Day every year, and how lucky are we to be St. Luke so we get this every year twice, because it's in the lectionary as well. Everybody doesn't get this. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And what is good news to the poor but an end to poverty, right? He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. That's the imprisoned, those in incarcerated, right? Recovery of sight to the blind, that is healing. To let the oppressed go free, that is justice. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that is jubilee, that is freedom. We are gifted, right, that's the Bible. You can clap for your Bible, go ahead, Adelaide. You can absolutely clap for your Bible. This is the call of this church, nothing less. The call of this church. Now, what this has to do with being boring or being bored, right, is it's really easy in a big institution like ours to do the things that we must do to keep rolling forward, right? That's, it's important, we gotta do that. But that's not in here, as you saw. Jesus didn't mention that. So we're gonna do that, we got some people to do that. And it's easy in church, and we all do it, to bring the most of our suffering to this place, and we're supposed to do that. Where your heart is broken, where you're confused, where you need to be brave, where you need faith, bring that here with that. 
But you know, the boring part is, some of us, all of us, get stuck in our cycles of what has been. I do. Right, of places I've been before, struggles I've had in the past. And we were reminded of this recently because we got to watch the beautiful new film about women's ordination and how we got there. We got Pat Merchant with us today um, to remember that time, right? Pat was the first woman brought here on staff. Is that right? That is right. Brought because some women at St. Luke's decided there should be a woman priest on staff because there were some and there hadn't been before. And I'm going to say I'm not sure the rector at the time thought that was necessary because it was very controversial. And the women of St. Luke's, you will not be surprised to find who were younger at that time in the 80s, some of them are still here, maybe all of them, um, did not take no for an answer. And so Pat was here. You gotta love this church, right? That's usually not how things go in a church. And Pat remains here, right? There are futures for us today as well that are really hard to imagine. Can you imagine what those first women thought would happen after they were ordained? My guess is nothing. They hadn't thought, thought that, like, because the battle was to just get ordained. And it was a difficult fight in our church, one that we can't imagine at this time. In watching the film, we're all in tears because we can't imagine because that much good has come from it. We cannot imagine a time or a place where it was that difficult, where our colleagues were that difficult, where it was so hard to think through. What would even happen if you ordained those people? Where could they serve? That it continued to be a fight, that a place like St. Luke's, which has always been an open-hearted, open-minded place, couldn't imagine it. Only some could. We are, and we are to be convicted in every generation that there are struggles like that in front of us. Right? Basically, it's how, you, it's how you fight being boring. Don't fight last year's fight. Don't fight 10 years ago's fight. Don't be caught in it. It's boring, it's boring. We are bored, we can become boring. The challenge is always to look forward, not necessarily to the fight, but what's the struggle? What is the struggle for the good news that in this time, we can't quite see how it would resolve? It feels hard for all of us. It is different. It's different than things have been. Even there might be people telling us if we do that, everything will fall apart, which is what we were told, right? They were told everything would fall apart. And then in this generation is the most inspiring thing. Isn't that the way it always is? We are so inspired by the movements of those times. Some of those are for the church. We need to get it right. Many of those are for the world. It is our witness to the gospel out in the world. Now the difficulty is in every generation, those things feel like they're divisive. They feel hard. And if they feel too divisive, then we've got some work to do. We're getting boring, frankly. We are getting boring and trapped in those old stories that any kind of division will break us. That conflict is to be avoided because conflict will break us. Usually what conflict means is something's opening up. Something beautiful is opening up, but it takes a lot of faith to open that up because sometimes that opening up will also take the great art of healing, the great art of art to help us to see that future, God's future with us. But Luke casts that future in front of us every time. There is something beyond us that we are for, all of us, even as we discern to find it. Another way to think about that is you wanna be a good ancestor. You want people to look back and say, oh yeah, that one that one. I want to be like that one. You don't want to be the dull one. You don't want to be the one where people are like, ah, I don't know who that is, but there they are in our photo album. Yeah, and you want to be the one that stood up and they can't stop talking about you. And we want to be the ones that stand up. We want to be those ones. So my dad tells a story and I cannot verify it. 
So I'm just telling it to you as a story. Um, and he told it to me um, when we were watching a movie. We were watching Gandhi once at our house. And I am an Indian, but we don't just watch Gandhi all the time. So it was an unusual, <laughs> yeah. And we were watching, it was on because it, my parents were watching the Malayalam language channel, which is the, their home language, right? And we were having Thanksgiving at our house and I was, I was probably in my 40s and I'm doing whatever, like the equivalent of pulling pork, right? I'm getting something ready, that was my task. But at the big kitchen island where I could see the TV and my dad is sitting there, my mom is, we're getting something ready and Gandhi comes on, so we got kind of quiet, and it just happened to come on. And I was, as they were watching it, I was thinking about going to see that movie. I remember going, it was eight or nine, it was one of the first movies I went to see in the theater, and I remember being kind of excited about it because it was, I could tell my parents were excited, and I, I don't think I knew why. And I'm sure it was because it was about India, and we weren't there, we were in Dallas, Texas, and how cool to hear one of our stories in this way, right? I, I just remember it felt very exciting, and it felt like people were kind of proud that we were there. So I went to that, and I vaguely remember it. Um, but my parents are watching it, they're watching it in Malayalam, and I'm having a very preacherly thought of, oh, how poetic to hear your story um, told in this beautiful film, um, cinematic way in your own language. That must be so interesting for them to watch this thing. So they're watching, and I am a little bored because I don't speak Malayalam. Um, and it sure was, it's a long movie is what I remembered as I was <laughs> taking apart the turkey or whatever I was doing. And at some point, my parents too, I think, became bored because my dad told the story. And he said, you know, I think I saw Gandhi once. I was like, what? That would be something to tell your children, right? <laughs> and he said, yeah, when, when I was young, um, we, they lived in a town called Kavior and Gandhi or something, someone like that, like a great freedom speaker, but they think Gandhi, my dad thinks Gandhi, he was born in 38. Gandhi dies in 47 or 48, so it's possible. I remember being little and walking with his two brothers and his dad to the Church Missionary Society Medical College in Thiruvilla, which is a bit of a walk to see Gandhi or to see these freedom speakers. And so they walk, and he says it was a long walk, is what he remembers, and he was little. And they get there, and there's just thousands and thousands of people standing. And my grandpa was very, very tall. He's well over six feet tall in a community where not a lot of people were very tall. Um, so his head popped up above everybody, and he, one at a time, put his sons on his shoulders to watch, to see something, because they were just standing, looking at his knees, basically. Um, and so, you know, my dad's waiting his turn, and my dad is not my dad's about my height, he's not terribly tall, standing and waiting as a little kid. And he said he, and you can you remember that, you must have done it with your own kids, or you probably remember sitting up on someone's shoulders and the little feet right here, and maybe you've done it recently, or that little perch you get. Um, and so he said it's his turn finally, and he gets put up on his dad's shoulders, looks around, and I interrupt, as I often do in life, and said, what did you see, what was that like? And he said, you know, I got up there and I didn't know what I was looking for. Isn't that all of life? <laughs> there you are, some version of our four or six-year-old self doing the thing that everyone thinks is so critical and important and you can feel them, it's important, you know you're in a moment, you're gonna remember it for the rest of your life. And what are we doing? What is it, right? What is it exactly? And I think it is actually the perfect story for the church. That is what we are called to do, isn't it? You remember when I was here, a few, when I started uh, a few years ago, I told you the story of that torch going backwards and forwards, right? We are to light our own path forward, but we're also like throwing back some light for what's behind us, for people coming behind us. But often, like where we're going, especially in church, we don't know. We're going that way. And when it feels like we don't know, often our response in life is to grab the thing we know, which is our fears, how we've done it before, even if it hasn't worked out, even if we don't like what happened before, it's what we know. 
The invitation on this St. Luke's Day, the invitation of the gospel to you today, is we don't have to do that. There is, there are, there's resource for our healing. Healing is a part of what comes here. You don't have to be the same person you walk in as when you walk out. Let that be for you. Let it be a place of healing. Choose it. But let it also be a place of vision, the kind of vision so great we need artists for it, peacemakers, right? People that make us whole, that open us up to a life of faith that is worth it, that is nothing dull about it, that we want for the youngest person sitting in this room, a future imagined out that far. So there are different pieces for all of us, right? There's different places of healing. Let's do it together. Let's do that work. But know that we're doing it because we are the people for a future that cannot yet be spoken. That is the future for us. Remember the call to Jesus that he reads from the tradition. It is the scroll of Isaiah that he claims for himself. And so St. Luke's, let us claim it for ours. I invite you to take a deep breath in this room with all these people. Close your eyes if you want or put your eyes down and claim it with us together. Hear the word of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. God has sent us to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to those without sight, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim from this place the year of the Lord's favor. And may it be so among us. Amen.